Hello and welcome to Auditorium Podcast Number Five with myself, Dr. Bramwell, and my co-host. Oh, sorry, I'm just trying to get out of the crouching swan. Ah, there we go. Yes, uh, Dr. No, sorry, David. Mr. Mountfield. Mr. Mountfield there. Yeah. And doing, uh, you normally do a, a yoga, yoga warm-up, don't you, before 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 podcast? anything, really. Yes. Yes. Before filling out my tax returns, anything. I'm very much, I'm all before about the yoga. Before sex with your wife? Do you, do you? During. During sex during with your wife. During and after. Yes. A little bit of yoga. Yes. It's nothing like a... a the plank a, and the dog. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone could see me, you would know that maybe <laughs> yoga is not very high on my list of priorities. <laughs> But, you know, it should be. It should be. Of course it should. You know. And and the reason we're talking about yoga is, of course, because we have a, a yoga-themed talk on uh, on today's podcast, courtesy of Sue Bradley, who is uh, a yoga teacher, unsurprisingly. And this talk was recorded at Wilderness Festival uh, somewhere in Oxfordshire in, uh, in, in the summer of an undisclosed year, so that we don't... Um, make these podcasts sound too dated yes um let's say well let's let's say it was recorded in 2085 2085 yeah <laughs> yes and um, that'll keep it fresh won't it fresh and new yeah. <laughs> um and this was um we were running the auditorium tent uh, that summer at wilderness festival been going for over 90 years now it has been going over 90 years and we yeah. look good on it don't we do. we do and that's a lot of yoga we've been doing absolutely so sue yeah sue is a yoga teacher and she's giving a talk on some of the more unusual practices associated with yoga particularly physical practices and uh, those of a squeamish disposition may wish to stick their fingers in their ears for here, for, here for away now talk. here away now yeah. okay here she is sue bradley with yogi bear this is a talk about the more weird and wonderful end of yogic practice so i am a yoga teacher this talk, however, is an entertainment, so although I'm poking fun at a lot of this stuff, um, there is also a deep respect running alongside it, so just so you know that. <laughs> when you see yoga, um, the, the popular Western idea of yoga is it, it looks like some sort of exercise system with the yoga postures, which are called asanas, but actually the asanas are quite new. They've only been existence for a couple of hundred years. Previously, yoga took the form of chanting, meditation, some physical work, but mostly what you're seeing is a lot of British military exercises. So in the First World War, the whole yogic system got very influenced by the British military exercises, which sort of like permeated into what was already there. So modern postural yoga is a mixture of Eastern esotericism together with British military exercises. Basically, a lot of the classical Indian texts were translated by guys like this. This is Lord Baden-Powell. You know, so the, the language is infused with the morality of the Victorian gentleman. So the whole patriarchal thing and the whole Christian ethic thing. So that the language they're using in, for the translating the texts can make it sound, the whole thing is, is, sounds like something that's written by a repressed scoutmaster. So it was written by men for men. So here's, here's an example of something that's in the Hatha Yoga Pratipika. So yoga is destroyed. So when it says yoga, it means, you know, the path to enlightenment, the union of mind, body, spirit is destroyed by overeating, exertion, talkativeness, adhering to rules, e.g. a cold bath in the morning, eating at night or eating only fruit, the company of men, unsteadiness, the society of the evil minded, fire, women and travelling. Right. So getting even more personal, um, uh, you know, again, design for men and, and here's the sort of you know that victorian morality coming in and this is about the preservation of semen so by means of a pipe one should blow air slowly into the passage in the male organ 
By practice, the discharged bindu, the semen, is drawn out. One can draw back and preserve one's own bindu. By preserving bindu, the body of the yogi emits a pleasing smell and overcomes death. Because death comes by discharging bindu and life is prolonged by its preservation. You know. Here are the here are the six shatkamas or cleansing practices. So you know you've got dauti, nauli, neti, kapalabhati. It's a form of pranayama there. Um, basti and tratak. So um, going to talk a little bit about those now. So the six actions which cleanse the body should be kept secret. They produced extraordinary attributes and are performed with great earnestness. So the yogic texts always emphasize secrecy and for good reason because some of these things can be really harmful if not practiced under supervision. You know, um, you know, a lot of these things like, you know, swallowing bits of cloth and shoving rods down you and water up your bum, you know, can be really medically dangerous. So you had to study under the supervision of your guru. So here's uh, Doughty, Doughty with a cloth. So a strip of cloth about three inches wide and 15 cubits long is pushed in or swallowed when moist with warm water through the passage shown by the guru and is taken out again. So how it's actually done, the strip is moistened and the end should be held within the teeth. It is swallowed slowly, little by little, thus. First day, one cubit. Second day, two cubits. Third day, three cubits, and so on. After swallowing it, the stomach should be given a good round motion from left to right, and then it should be taken out slowly and gently, um, thus bringing all the gunk out with it. So, um, my teacher, my guru, has, has done this, um, and he seemed to think it was all right. Uh, <laughs> that's just the point, really. Uh, you know, you get the general idea. It's, it's cleansing. It's getting the gunk out. There is no doubt that cough, asthma, enlargement of the spleen, leprosy, and 20 times of diseases born of phlegm disappear by the practice of doughty karma. So the Indian system, the Ayurvedic system, very much corresponding to the old English system of the humours, you know, the bile, phlegm, all that sort of business. So instead of using a cloth, you can also purify your digestive system by taking a stalk of cane, thrusting it slowly down your esophagus and drawing it out slowly. Vamana Doughty, so this is cleansing by vomiting. Um, Ayurvedic hospitals in India are still very much advocating this. It can be a daily vomit or a weekly vomit, but as we all know, the stomach contents are acidic. You know, whether you swallow salt water first or whether it's first thing in the morning, whatever it is, the, the contents of your stomach will rot your teeth. We don't think that's a very good idea, really, these days. Enemas, these days we can use an enema kit. Those days they didn't have those things. So um, basically they used to give self enemas in the river. And um, I've got three different methods of doing that here. So um, first one, standing navel deep in water, draw out the, the satkinadi. Now the satkinadi are your intestines. So you're drawing out your intestines, washing your nadi with my hands, you know, so you've drawn them out in the river water, giving them a wash. And then once you've washed the filth all away and wash it with care, draw it back in again into the abdomen. So this is what they did back then. Um, again, it's something you can train yourself to do, apparently. Of course, these days you can just go and have a colonic. You know, you don't need to. But it's the same thing. Huh? Um, less extreme, but more, more like an enema. Um, entering water up to the navel, navel and assuming the posture called Utkatasana. Utkatasana is fierce pose or chair, chair pose. Let him contract and dilate the sphincter muscle of the anus. This is called Jalabasti. And finally, here's another description of it. This one's using a pipe. So squatting in navel deep water, introducing a six inches of long, smooth piece of half inch diameter pipe, open at both ends, half inside the anus. The anus should be contracted and then expelled. And by practicing this basti karma, colic, enlarged spleen, dropsy, 
Um, illnesses arising from the disorders of vata, air, pitta, bile, and kapha, phlegm, are cured. And by practicing basti with water, the mind becomes calm. It gives glow and tone to the body and increases the appetite, and all disorders disappear. So, you know, nowadays you can have an enema, you know, I, I went and had a, a gu what's called a guided enema because I thought I should practice what I preach, you know, so I was lying in a bathroom behind a shut door and my enema guide was outside with a transistor radio on. Um, <laughs> you know, you can put all sorts of stuff up there. You can put aloe vera, coffee, chamomile, magnesium, flax oil, you know, depending on where the moon is and so on. It, again, you know, you can spend your whole life studying this. So now we're coming on to the mudras and what they are, they're energy seals. So the idea that the, the nowl is, the prana is rushing around your body and if you do a particular seal, then it seals that energy and it comes back in again. This is kachari mudra um, with the tongue sticking out. You, you don't see anyone in the West doing this particularly, but it is still common in India. So kachari, k means sky and cha means to move. So this is the moving sky mudra. And it's also um, connected with levitation, doing this one, which I'll talk about later. So this one is accomplished by thrusting the tongue down the gullet. So you have to turn, you stick your tongue out and then you twist it backwards and thrust it down your throat by turning it over on itself and you keep your eyesight in the middle of your eyebrows. Anyway, to accomplish this, the tongue is cut. But you cut the frenum lingae, that bit there, you cut that and you move it and pull it until it can touch the space between the eyebrows. So this is how it's done. Taking a sharp, smooth, clean instrument of the shape of a cactus leaf, the frenum of the tongue should be cut a little, as much as a hair's thickness, at a time. Then rock salt should be rubbed in. One should go on doing this for six months, by which time the frenum should be completely cut. And when the tongue can touch with its end the hole from which falls the juice, the rasa, which is salty, salty, bitter, sour, milky, and similar to ghee and honey, they have this idea that this juice would drip down from your brain. One can drive away disease, destroy old age, destroy old age, can evade attack of arms, become immortal in eight ways, and can attract fairies. Cool. All right. This is a new little bit that I'm just going to pop in here. I haven't done this bit before, so excuse me if I'm a little bit... Uh, so a little bit about um, levitation. So historically, there have been many accounts of people levitating within a large diversity of religions, ranging from the Western Christians to the Eastern ninjas of Japan. Some of the best records of levitation are told in Christian documents, which report over 200 Catholic saints levitating all at once, for instance. You can also look at... Um, the Maharishi's uh, videos on YouTube, um, you know, they, they teach these meditation courses. And what we're seeing is people sitting in a cross-legged position in full lotus and they're using their psoas muscle, which is the one coming up here, just to sort of jump up and down. And then they, they take these pictures of them just, just in that second when they've just left the floor. And they go, oh, look, they're levitating. But all they seem to be doing is hopping. Mm. Yeah. So levitation is one of the eight mighty yoga powers um, known only to the yogis and the siddhas of ancient India. In Sanskrit, um, the science of making one's body smaller or subtly, subtler than an atom. Samana is the prana or life energy stored in tiny air sacs beneath each pore of skin. If these air sacs are filled, the body can experience levitation. Unfortunately, these air sacs cannot be filled by the gross prana that is taken in through the nose. You literally have to learn to breathe through your skin, and this can be done through intensive yoga techniques. Uh, at the end of last year, I was in um, a place called Auraville, which is um, an ashram uh, with people from all, all over the world in this ashram called Auraville, which was um, set up by a guy called Sri Aurobindo. Um, it's in Tamil Nadu. And um, Sri Aurobindo writes, um, he, he was doing some workshops in, a, in an Indian jail, and he's saying, 
I was in this jail and I was having an intense sadhana in the vital plane and I was concentrated. I had a questioning mood whether such things as Siddhi or Utpana levitation were possible. Then suddenly I found myself raised up in such a way that I couldn't have done it myself with muscular exertion. Only one part of the body was slightly in contact with the ground and the rest was raised up against the wall. And I know that I couldn't have held my body like that normally even if I'd wanted to. I also found that the body remained suspended like that without any exertion on my part. Now, Sri Aurobindo wasn't the sort of guy to go off on flights of fancy. You know, he's written a lot of very sort of intensive philosophical and scientific works. So basically, levitation has not been verified. It's a closely guarded secret and can lead to serious damage to the body and mind if applied wrongly. So it's a very, very guarded thing. Back to the Shatkarma. So, Amaroli, uh, urine ingestion, auto-urine therapy. Again, Indian medical doctors are still very much recommending this. You know, the last time I was in India, the guy, I said, what do you think about you know, uh, urine therapy? Yes, brilliant, you must do it. It's really, really good. It seems to be um, like a homeopathic belief that you're reflecting back to your body and mind things that are wrong with it by ingesting more of itself. Of course, in the West, we're used to thinking of urine as a, as a waste product. In India, they don't think of it like that at all. Um, They've, they always drank the middle of the stream, um, so it's, all the, it's always the early morning stream of urine. Um, you leave out the first bit because that can be contaminated by bacteria because it's in contact with the skin. The middle bit is pure, the last bit has sediment in it, so you just take the middle of the stream. And this, this stuff um, was being written about thousands of years ago, and it's exactly what hospitals do. You know, If your doctor asks you for a urine sample, it's always the midstream they want, so they were right on that. There's a lot of stuff written about what foods to eat, you know, and again, as in modern practice, avoiding eating certain foods because it makes the urine taste awful. Um, helps you regulate your diet. If you're drinking your own wee, you make sure that you're not eating anything awful because it's going to turn up in, you know, what you're drinking the next morning. A lot of people rub themselves with it. A lot of people make a homeopathic preparation of it as well and take it in dro um, drops. But, you know, it is in a lot of our medicines that we take now. So, you know, E45 cream, it's got urine in it. Um, Pergonol, which is a fertility drug, mares urine. Um, urokinase um, is in is in a clot dissolver for unblocking arteries. Urea is in loads of our best moisturisers. Murine eye drops. You know, just take the M away and you've got urine eye drops. You know, um, you know, really isn't it? Really seriously, look at your moisturisers and an E45 anti-itch cream. Recently, I was um, using with some mosquito bites and says, oh, it's full of urine. Mm. Um, you know, the ancient yogis had restricted um, access to food, so it might have made sense to them to recycle it. But I guess, you know, really now with our synthetic chemicals, we, and we've got an added dimension of toxicity in our diet now, which didn't exist back then. So, you know, but that said, a lot of people do do it. So up to you. There's lots of books out there on it. So, um, Jala Neti, if you've got a cold or blocked up sinuses or anything like that, the idea is that you pour water up one nostril, very little like we were doing there with Shadi Nadi Shodana, comes up one nostril and comes out the other nostril, and then you turn the other head, head the other way, comes up one nostril and down the other side. And the water that you use is body temperature warm, has a little bit of salt dissolved in it to make it the same, it's a little bit the same as your body fluids. So, uh, this, is a, this is a little travel Neti pot. And I've got, I've got a little bit of lukewarm water in here with a little bit of salt in it. And, um, you know, it's really easy to do. In fact, I could probably keep talking while I'm doing it. Hang on. This might not work. I might just have to do it. So it's going in my nostril. So there it is coming out the other nostril that I'm talking to. So as you can see, I'm not drowning <laughs> at all or anything like that. There you go. Wow. Wow. 
is all I've got to say to that. And secondly, <laughs> uh, will you help me with washing my bowels? Because <laughs> I don't think I can do it on my own. I, I need some help. There's some, there's some pretty, pretty hardcore practices uh, in pretty, that talk. Pretty hardcore. I mean, I don't know about you, but taking my intestines out of my bottom and dipping them in a river is... Not, is a, very, about not, as, a, not a very clean river either, I <laughs> <exactly>. think. <laughs> That's about as hardcore as anything gets anywhere, isn't it? I mean, how do you get them back in again? I, mean, I suppose uh, you get a big stick and poke them you, back you, up. Yeah, you poke them back in with your finger. Have you no? Because have you pra- have you tried any of those any of those practices? That well, uh, only that. That's the only no. That's um, the only one. Uh, no, <laughs> I haven't. I haven't tried any of those practices, and I'm not about to. I have um, to I'm going to. I'm going to make a confession here on this podcast. Oh, I'm going to make a confession. This is going back maybe 15, 20 years. I did try drinking a bit of my wee once. Oh, I did that by accident with my son. What my wee? No, not your. <laughs> I said, D- I've got some of Bradwell's wee. Come on, let's crack it out. No, you, hang uh, on, hang on, hang on. You, you did this with your son. Uh, we, we were on a very late night flight to Turkey and Eddie needed... This, well, it's uh, getting weirder. Eddie needed, Eddie needed... He was young, he was only about five or six. He's desperate for a wee on the coach, the transfer coach from and the airport. And you drank it? No, no, no. What happened was he weed in a bottle. We, we, we uh, Because there was no, no loo on the coach. We went to bed and I got up early in the morning feeling a bit woozy, saw the bottle on the side, went, oh, God, I need a swig of that. Um, took a swig, forgetting that it was wee, and got a mouthful of, of my son's That's wee. straight out of a film, isn't it? It is, That's yeah. straight out of a I, film. And it wasn't great. You know, he might have been a pure young lad, but the, it just I don't think I got any health benefit from it, other than probably trying to puke up in the bathroom. It wasn't good. Yeah. Um, okay, so I, I, really enjoyed, I really enjoyed Sue's talk, actually. There's some fascinating, uh, fascinating material there. And, yeah, I mean, it, it does... It, it also just... It throws open that whole you know that kind of whole um, can of worms really as to as to you know what 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 are you what, up to there then? yeah, yeah. <laughs> well you know what is healthy and what isn't whether you know whether regular vomiting is is good for our bodies or whether it i mean obviously she, she talks about the damage it does to to, to teeth. teeth but um yeah. but it, i mean that is something that's been practiced by by, by, by supermodels by, everywhere y- yes yeah <laughs> um, but Sorry, I was you were going to mention was, some other group i was yeah. well i was going to say by you know every, every, every culture i remember i remember reading that um in Native American tradition, um, it was common practice that uh, once a year, um, all all members. Of, I mean, this doesn't apply. This doesn't apply to to, to every uh, Native American group because I think mm. different practices by by different groups. But um, it was it was relatively common that around autumn time, the fire that had been burning for for a, for a. a, a community for the year was put out right. uh, and and uh, and relit and at the same time um community members would take strong purgatives and vomit for three or four days with this idea that that they would rekindle their own digestive fire at the same time so so this kind of you know metaphorical and, That's, and that physical. is eerily similar to what happens in newcastle on the big market where once a week uh people drink seven or eight pints until they revive. I was, trying, I was trying to throw in a, a serious uh, <laughs> cultural no, no, that's, that, in the last Sorry, I was, being, yeah. I, I, I was being a little bit um, you know, flippant about the Newcastle thing. So what was the advantage to these Native Americans too? For, for oh, no, I, I think this idea of, of just having a good spring clean, you know, a, a, right. a digestive spring clean. So, so you know, if, if one has a if one has a fireplace at home, you know, you know the importance of of, of cleaning it, clean not just not letting all of the crap build up too much. Yeah, and I think the idea that um, which I think there is some scientific evidence for too that uh, if you just keep you know if you imagine that your 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 stomach, particularly the western stomach, is like one of those bins that you know never gets emptied. You just push your foot down That's for the, you know true. to try and squeeze more stuff in. That, that having a good uh, letting it all out, you know, every now and again is um is, it, it's, is cle- cleans it out. 
Yes, yes. Uh, doesn't it clean out all the negative, all the positive flora though, as well as the negative flora? I don't, don't necessarily. I don't know. Who knows? I don't eh? know. I mean, I but it is I a big thing in diet diet quackery at the moment. Is colon cleansing? That's that's right. that's the latest thing that us fatties are being fed. Um, so who knows? Who knows? You might have a point. Those American Indians might have a point. Anyway, it's, I mean, that's all, the, all this talk of vomiting is making me uh, it's making me quite hungry. So <laughs> you've got some. You've got. Oh, what have oh. you got, Dave? You've got one of my favourite. So we're, we're back to our. our passion here which of course is, is biscuits it's biscuits absolutely. and you have got one of my well, i've only gone biscuits. and got a tonics uh, caramel wafer you have there. got a tonics there caramel go. wafer one for me as well which um mm. i think one of the one of the real joys mm. of the tonics mm. is that they they've unchanged you know they're unchanged since um now the memory man mountfield come on when when was the tonics um, 1890 the golden age of biscuits that's when they set up um, um, and which part of the world? Oh, in in Scotland, obviously. Um, I can't remember the exact um, name of the the town. Udding, Uddingston. Uddingston. There we go. Is where the factory is. But they are they are absolutely um, a, a proof of the value of the genericized brand. Mm. They haven't changed their brand in over a hundred years. Of course, they've obviously been too mean to do so. Uh, so it's the same, the same packaging it ever was. Mm. Um, and of course, every week for the last hundred years, they've sold precisely five million bars because that's what it's always said. So on they the... must know exactly their profit projections every year. It's the most unstable business in the world. It's uncanny. Yes. <laughs> it is uncanny. I do, I do absolutely adore adore the Tunnocks, and, yeah. and my 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 heart sings when I. Um, in fact, I've got a local cafe, Joe's Cafe in Brighton. Ah, yes. Which has has a jar of them, and um, and I, I I go in uh, two two or three times a week for a fairly unhealthy, um, <laughs> uh, you know, good old British uh, greasy fry up, and um, and I still need my I still need my dessert. Yeah. Uh, at the end of uh, at well, the end they're of lunch. halfway between a cake and a biscuit, aren't they? They're the, the wafer, the the sort of wafer taken to its ultimate conclusion, really. The, mm. the caramel wafer, and as you put it, it's the, it's the next level of biscuit technology. They've got their own their own cafe for heaven's sake, their own tea house, haven't they? They, they have. Um, yeah. You better keep talking, so I've got. <laughs> Mouthful of the yeah. last bit here. Um, I, uh, I, what always amazes me about about Tunnock, the whole Tunnock's range, is that not only has the packaging not changed, but the range hasn't changed. No. Everyone, Kit Kat, everyone, they all eventually go, what if we have a wombat-flavoured one the size of a head or something? And, you know, <laughs> someone in marketing has too much coke and it all goes wrong. Tunnock's have stuck solidly to their range of, I think it's four. It is. It? Uh, um, caramel... Uh, caramel wafer snowball they've got a log and they've got, they've got the a tea cake, cake. I mean, the tea cake and the caramel is uh, by far the two most popular yeah. what, and one of the stories that I love about the about the tea cake is because uh, for those who don't know I mean you know shame on you if you don't know uh, the, the tonics range but the uh, the tea cake is, is like a sort of meringue blancmange yes it's got a sort of an industrial thing marshmallow kind of uh, interior and surrounded by chocolates and these were popular amongst pilots during the Second World War and after the Second World War, particularly when they were they were testing uh, um, these these aeroplanes that were designed high altitude high altitude planes designed for dropping nuclear bombs on uh, unsuspecting like countries, yeah. And uh, and the and the tonics were a, were a particular favourite of the pilots until they discovered that at very very high altitudes, the tonics uh, tea cake 
uh, explodes. Yes. And they 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 used to put them on the uh, on the uh, dashboard. dashboard. And uh, and then for those who know the the, the Tonics tea cake, I mean that's a sticky mess, uh, exploding all over your your controls and and um, very uh, nearly caused a nuclear Armageddon. They didn't they, it? they did. It short circuited and um, and yes, we uh, thought the plane was it, shot down. In fact, yeah. we did accidentally drop a nuclear bomb on Wales, and that was covered up, wasn't <laughs> but it? No in, one noticed. Yeah. No, it, uh, <laughs> it was near Newport. No one noticed. <laughs> That's one of the great British cover-ups Apologies of uh, to Newport 19, for that 1957. Yeah. Um, Newport, yes, what a shithole. Uh, okay. <laughs> Good enough for Obama. Let's not... Uh, anyway, sorry. Good we... enough for Obama. Did he go there? Yes. To Newport, Wales? Yes. Out of, what, choice? Yes. <laughs> Why? Uh, NATO were meeting there. Oh, right. Yeah. Cheap accommodation. Yes, that's right. right. They're okay. all in a travelogue. Anyway, carry on. Uh, no, I think, that's, I think we're kind of done, actually. So... Yeah. Uh, I think it just remains to say uh, say thank you to. We do have to have a competition though. Uh, uh, yes, uh, we've okay. So well, we haven't we haven't had any letters in this. this Not this, this week. week, but I think this one's going to absolutely storm it. Okay, okay. We want to know your favourite biscuit-related near Armageddon-related incident. If you can write in with with uh, your description of your favourite biscuit stroke Armageddon incident like the one we just described we will read it out on air um, and the address as always is it's Mr Mountfield and uh, Dr Bramwell Auditorium Podcast England thank you the auditorium is presented by Dr Bramwell and Mr Mountfield and is produced by Andrew Mailing and Dr Lance Dan. Find out more about us and upcoming live events at oddpodcast.com. To speak at one of our events, or just to say hello, email oddpodcastuk at gmail.com. Tales from the Auditorium regularly feature in Ernest Journal, a magazine for the curious and adventurous. To pick up a copy, head to earnestjournal.co.uk. 